Now, our Bible reading this morning is taken from Habakkuk chapter 2, and we're going to read from the verse 5. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 5. As you're turning to the place, one of the great blessings, of course, of expository preaching, you're dealing with a series of messages through a book or on a chapter, then you, you can't skip portions out because somebody's going to come and say, well, well, why didn't you preach in that passage? Or why did you leave that text out? And um, we're, we're always conscious of that. And I'm um, very conscious that there's very few has attempted to preach on the uh, latter portion of Habakkuk chapter 2. Many just deal with verse 1 to 4, and then they leave it there. But we're going to continue with this series of expository messages, uh, and we're looking at Habakkuk chapter 2. Verse 5, right through to verse 20. If you have your Bible there, follow with me. The words will also come up on the screen. But we would encourage you to get a copy of your own um, Bible and uh, to read it uh, along with what you see in the screen and then begin to underline uh, some of the important words that are here. Let, let's hear the word of the Lord. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 5. Yea, also... Because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man. Neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire as hell, and is his death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. Shall not all these take up a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him and say, Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his? How long? And to him that ladeneth himself with thick clay, shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee and awake that shall vex thee? And thou shalt be for booties unto them. Because thou hast spoiled many nations. All the remnant of the people shall spoil thee. Because of men's blood. And for the violence of the land. Of the city. And of all that dwell therein. Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house that he may set his nest in high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people, and hast sinned against thy soul. For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood, and establish a city by iniquity. Behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink 
that putteth thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness? Thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also, and let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee, and shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. For the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee, and the spoil of beasts, which made them afraid because of men's blood, and for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it, the molten image, and a teacher of lies, that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake, to the dumb stone arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is found in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 5, right through to 20. And my theme today is entitled, God's warning of a payday someday. Habakkuk, remember, means a wrestler. And I want you to think of a man wrestling with God. His prophecy and his book that bears his name is different from any other of the minor prophets. He's not preaching a series of messages uh, to Babylon or Egypt or Syria. He's not addressing his own uh, land, the land of Judah, or, or addressing the northern kingdom of Israel. No, this man is primarily addressing the Lord. He is reasoning with the Lord. And the Lord in grace and in mercy comes and replies to him. We know nothing of Habakkuk's background. We know nothing of his parentage or his call to be a preacher. But what we do know is this, that he's a genuine man of God, a man who knows the Lord, a man of prayer, a man who longs for revival in his day and generation for the land of Judah primarily. Remember in chapter 1, we're introduced to Habakkuk as a burdened, a broken-hearted man. He is burdened and broken-hearted for the explosion of iniquity and immorality and idolatry that has burst upon the political, social, moral, and religious life of Judah. As I've said, he is praying for revival. So I want you to think of him praying and wrestling with the Lord. And then he comes up with a conundrum, and it's this. The Lord doesn't seem to be answering his prayer. He's thinking to himself, well, are you listening, Lord? Lord, are you really there? And then he wrestles with a second perplexing conundrum, namely the Lord's inactivity in dealing with sin and disciplining his wayward, backslidden people of Judah. Why isn't the Lord doing something? 
How can the Lord look on and allow the wicked man to prosper and the godly man to suffer injustice? Lord, where are you? Lord, what are you doing? And then when the Lord finally does answer him, he is stunned to discover that the Lord is going to use the wicked Babylonians, a bunch of pagan godless souls, to punish Judah. And what's he thinking now? This can't be right. God could not use a worse people to punish a bad people. So he's puzzled. He's perplexed. So what he does is a very important principle. He begins to recite what he knows to be true about the Lord. And that's where Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 12 and 13 comes into the context. You can look at it and not recite it. He's telling himself, well, well, God that I worship is eternal and he hates sin and he's sinlessly perfect and he's a God of infinite perfection. He's a God who is absolutely holy. You see, Habakkuk doesn't have a flawed, faulty view of the Lord. Sadly, many do have a flawed and faulty view of the Lord, but Habakkuk doesn't. He knows that God is perfectly holy. He knows that God hates sin. He knows that God is not ignorant of the sin in the land or indifferent to the sin in the lives of individuals before him. He knows that God is not turning a blind eye to this sin. So Habakkuk resolves in his heart after God has spoken to him to wait on the Lord. He goes into his watchtower. And he keeps praying on for an answer. And he's thinking in his mind now another question. Lord, how do you want me to live in such a time as this? And then he gets the answer. Now if you look at Habakkuk chapter 2, the answer comes in verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And we thought last week of the impact of the great doctrine of justification by faith alone. And it is true, and oh, that we could grasp this principle, oh, that we could have a rediscovery of this principle, the just shall live by his faith. Living out the Christian life commences and continues and is consummated through the great principle of the gift of the faith of God in the soul. And Habakkuk, I think, in this chapter, at least I'm making a conjecture, he's thinking, what about the ungodly? What about them as they live out their lives before thee, Lord? What about the unjust? What about the ungodly pagan Babylonians Babylonians that you told me about, Lord? Think of verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. That's what the Lord has told him. What's going to befall them? And here's the answer. God's warning of a payday someday. Now, Now, three things very quickly as you look at the text. From verse 5 to 20, the Lord is speaking. Well, he's actually speaking from verse 2. Think of the speaker identified. Look at verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said. Did you see the words, write the vision? 
Write down to verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Lord is speaking. And in this chapter, he's not only pronouncing a statement about the great doctrine of justification by faith alone to Habakkuk. He's also at the same time pronouncing a series of judgments, especially on the nation of Babylon, that also stretches to every other godless pagan nation before the Lord. Remember Psalm 9, verse 17. What does it say? It says this, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. Ezekiel the prophet said in chapter 18 verse 4, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The apostle Paul taught in Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And over there in the book of Thessalonians, in First, Second Thessalonians, at chapter 1, the Apostle Paul also said this in relation to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. This is what he said. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The speaker here None other than the Lord himself addressing Habakkuk, saying to him to write the vision, goes on then to highlight to him there's a sharp contrast between two types of people in the world, Habakkuk. One, remember, is presented as being just before the Lord, while the other man is being presented as being unjust, being proud. He is guilty of sin and iniquity. Look at um, at chapter 2, verse 5. Yea, also, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man. Do you see that? He's speaking about the Babylonians here. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. Yea, also, in addition to that, because he transgresses by wine, he is a, a proud man. Neither keepeth at home who enlarges his desire as hell, and is as death that and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. You see, it's a representative picture. There's a contrast here, two types of people the, the righteous man and the unrighteous, the saved man and the unsaved. And isn't that one of the major themes in the Bible? Isn't there a twofold division of men before the Lord? And it's not Jew and Arab, and it's not Roman Catholic and Protestant. Here's the history of the world as God sees it. That there's a proud, ungodly, wicked, evil, sinful kind of man who lives his life before the Lord. He lives in rebellion before the Lord. And then there are those who are legally justified. 
those who are legally righteous before the Lord, believing men and women, men and women who, who trust in the Lord, men and women who don't live in rebellion to the Lord, but they live in reception of the Lord. The Lord's their creator and maker. He's their redeemer. He's their controller. He's their judge. Two types of men, despite their age, nationality, color, education, station in life. Those who are in Christ and those who are without Christ. The Bible likens them at times to the sheep and the goats. The Bible likens them at times to the saved and the unsaved. The Bible likens them at times to those who are in Christ and those who are without Christ. Remember what the Apostle Paul says, Ephesians 2 and 12, that at that time ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Do you see that? Without Christ. And one of Paul's favorite words was in Christ. But he highlights a people who are without Christ. I want to ask this morning, I want the press at home, to all who are listening online and those of you who are here, in which class and category would you put yourself in? Are you numbered among those who say, well, I'm in Christ. There was a time when I confessed my sin. A time when I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I'm, I'm doing my best by the grace of God to live for Christ. Or are you still among those who are without Christ? Because you've never received him. You, you have no hope. You're without the Lord. You, you're without a knowledge. You have no pardon of sin. You have no knowledge of salvation. You see, remember the speaker hears the Lord. And he's addressing Habakkuk the prophet. This man who's wrestling with the Lord in prayer. And the Lord is saying to Habakkuk what he sees. And what he sees, he tells Habakkuk, and he's telling him, write it down, man. I want you to make it plain. For this vision is yet for an appointed time. It's not what he says in verse 2, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Habakkuk, as I've said, is wrestling with the Lord. He's been waiting in the Lord. He's watching all this evil and iniquity that he sees taking place in front of his eyes. And as he wrestles with the Lord and waits in the Lord, he gets the answer. And he has to be left wondering. Because he's told this. The vision is yet for an appointed time. And part of that vision would be the unfolding of the doctrine of justification by faith. But part of that vision had to be the judgment that was going to come upon every individual who sinned against the Lord. And, and, and judgment that was appointed for every nation who had forgot God. And who turned their back on him. Turn over there to the book of Acts and Acts 17 verse 31 the apostle Paul remember was at Mars Hill and he was preaching that great sermon and this is what he said to all who are in Mars Hill that day verse 31 Acts 17 31 because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead guarantees that there's a judgment coming, a payday for sin someday when Jesus Christ returns. 
I want you to think not only of the speaker identified, but I want you to think also here very quickly of the sins that are specified. If you look at chapter 2 of Habakkuk, verse 5, yea, also because he transgresseth. Underline that word transgresseth. I want you to feel the force of that word. Sin, I believe, is deceptive. Sin is defiling. But sin is also damning. And here we're learning from the Lord himself what sin is. And we're also learning that the Lord is in sovereign control over all things, over all people, over all times, and over all events. And he is working to a a determinate plan. God has foreordained all things whatsoever comes to pass. And here he is revealing to Habakkuk the lifestyle of the man whose soul is not upright in him. Here's what he's guilty of. Here's his sinful lifestyle. Because he transgresseth. Remember what sin is. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And it is God who defines what sin is. It's not the church. It is God himself. And God has revealed to us what sin is out of the Holy Scriptures. And oh, that we could remember that. Oh, that we could learn that afresh. Look carefully at this uh, portion of Scripture. There's five woes here. There's a woe in verse 6. Woe to him that increases that which is not his. Verse 9. Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house. Verse 12. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establishes a city by iniquity. There's also a woe in verse 15. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth the bottle to him, that maketh him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. And verse 19. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake, to the dumb stone arise, it shall teach. And I want you to feel the force of that. Because these five references have the word woe in them. And woe has to do with God's judgment. It's God pronouncing calamity and destruction on the workers of iniquity. He's saying that to the individuals here, there's going to be a payday someday. And a payday not only individually, but to every nation that lives like this. See, what has he already told Habakkuk? I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans. Another name for the Chaldeans is the Babylonians. The Babylonians are coming to invade Judah. Uh, And the Babylonians are going to destroy little Judah. But I want you to learn this. And here's part of the vision. The Babylonians will be judged themselves for their sin. I'll judge them individually. I'll judge them nationally. And of course what's true individually for Babylon. And what is true nationally for Babylon. Is true of every nation that forgets God. Let's keep in mind a little principle and we'll we'll wrap up with this thought. Sin pays wages. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. And that's a true principle in the Bible. Let's think of these five things for a little moment. I want you to think of the Think of the sin of selfishness and theft. 
Look at verse 6. Woe to him that increases that which is not his. What's that got to do with? It has to do with selfishness and theft. Remember Exodus chapter 20 verse 15. Thou shalt not steal. That's the eighth commandment. Taking possession of something that is not yours. Woe to him that increases that which is not his. As I've said, it speaks of a, 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 a spirit of great selfishness. The individual succumbing to theft. Obtaining things that are not his. You think of the Babylonians invading a, a, a city or a town or a village. And taking possession of the palaces there and the houses there. Obtaining these things, how? By bloodshed and by, by war and violence. And the sad thing about the Babylonians is this. They were filled with a lust to obtain more. And Nebuchadnezzar, the, world, the first world Gentile leader, he, he ruled over Babylon for 63 years. But in all that time, Babylon was never satisfied. Babylon wanted more, and they attacked nation after nation, country after country. They took all before it. You, you think of them taking over farms, taking over vineyards, possession of cattle and sheep, taking the gold and silver, taking the clothes out of people's houses, costly garments, taking, taking their artwork and their furniture, taking their womenfolk taking their children, raping those that they wanted to, murdering those that they wanted to, making slaves of men, taking really what we would sometimes call the spoils of war. But God says they're actually ill-gotten gains. They're gathered with illegality because the Bible says by way of a premise, thou shalt not steal. Is there not three ways of getting wealth, young people? You can work for it, and I would encourage you to, to work hard. You could receive wealth as a gift, someone who could die and leave you a, a very massive inheritance, or you could steal it. But the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. You think of all the Babylonians had. Could I ask this? Do you recognize that all you possess, that God is a bestower of every good and perfect gift you've ever received? James 1 and 17. See, all that we have, our houses, our clothes, our money, even the children that the Lord has gifted us, your parents, our property, our car, our farm, they're all gifts from him. And they've all been, been, been given to us legally by the Lord. But, but the reality is it all belongs to the Lord. And, and the Lord is saying to the Babylonians and to everyone else, all you've obtained in the basis of selfish lust and greed, all you've obtained by theft, you have a spirit that's never satisfied. And all that you've received, having spoiled so many nations and plundered many to be rich, I've seen it and I know it. And I've taken account of it. Not only the spirit of selfishness and theft, but think of the sin of covetousness. Verse 9, Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house. Remember the 10th commandment, young people? Exodus 20, 17. I'm trying to show a correlation here about what sin is. Thou shalt not covet. Babylon was gripped by a spirit of evil 
covetousness. All that Babylon saw, Babylon took. And Babylon thought, I'm untouchable. I'm unbeatable. I'm so high and secure. I'm so exalted above all. No one can come near me. You see, that, that there's the force of verse 10, woe to, or 9, Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetous to his house, that he may set his nest in high, that he may del- be delivered from the power of evil. No evil can come nigh me. Could I ask the question, is that your chief sin? An evil spirit of covetousness? That you've got a covetous heart? That you're filled with such a quest for material possessions? That that's what you're really living for? That's your goal? That's your purpose? You, you, you don't love and serve the Lord. You, you, you love and serve yourself above all else. The Bible says where your heart is there will your treasure be also. Remember Colossians 3 verse 5. Paul likened covetousness to idolatry. And covetousness which is the spirit of idolatry. And, and, and these people were sinning against their soul. Isn't that what the Lord said to him? Verse 10, thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people and hast sinned against thy soul. You've got a soul. Remember the rich farmer said to his soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. He wanted to pull down his barns and build bigger, but the Lord come to him and said, thy fool, this night shall thy soul be required in thee. And remember the Lord Jesus said, what did a prophet a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall man give in exchange for his soul? And there's nothing worth more than your soul. The Bible speaks of a godly contentment. Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Also here, there's the sin of bloodlessness. If you come down to verse 12, woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city by iniquity. Exodus 20, 13, thou shalt not kill. The Babylonians were ruthless to shed blood, men, women, and children. Do you know they built their towns in the emperor of Babylon with blood? They, they established it by inequity. You, you, you think of this. Babylon, I believe, was built in the blood of innocent victims. So think of great Babylon for a minute. How was it built? Many prisoners of war were captured from many nations and many countries. And they were exploited in that they were told, you either work or die. So they were made into slaves. And they worked to build Babylon. Babylon's walls were 350 feet high. 87 feet thick. That's hard to imagine. Three or four chariots could race round the walls at any one time. Did you know that Babylon was built 35 feet below ground? It had 250 watchtowers. Think of the famous hanging gardens of Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar built for his wife, which was the seventh wonder of the world. 53 temples, 180 idols alone to Ishtar, a city full of wealth and gold, all to do with the glory of the flesh. A glory that was passing. But that city was built in blood and sweat and tears of slaves. Many Jews. Many Gentiles. And what does the Bible say in Psalm 127 verse 1? Except the Lord build the house, the labor in vain that build it. Daniel was in Babylon for 70 years. Ezekiel was there. Many others were there. 
And what was witnessed in Babylon was the sin of bloodlessness. They murdered many and enslaved thousands. And that's what the Lord is talking about. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establishes a city by iniquity. Cold-blooded, premeditated murder. And the Babylonian army, sad to say, was a real murderous machine. Struck fear into all when they were told they were at your borders, your cities, your towns, your villages. But also, very quickly, there was another sin that they were guilty of. The sin of drunkenness. Look at verse 15. Woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink. See, Babylon was inspired by wine, inflamed by wine. Isn't that what he says in verse 5? Yea, also because he transgresseth by wine. Here was one of his chief sins. I believe the Lord is highlighting the chief sins of Babylon. Characterized by selfishness and theft. Characterized by an evil covetousness. Characterized by bloodlessness. But also characterized by, by drunkenness. I believe that the Babylonian army roamed the earth to build up the Babylonian empire. And they were not only full of selfish theft and covetousness and murder on their heart, but they were fueled by wine as they did so. I believe there's a connection between the uh, bloodlessness and the lawlessness of that age and, and drunkenness. Drunkenness is a grave sin before the Lord. Babylon desired things by wine. Babylon was driven by things to do with wine. And Babylon was destroyed by wine. Isn't it interesting in Daniel 5, meeting Persians outside, there's a party going on in Shushan Palace, Bel Teshazar. What did he forget? Well, he forgot the Lord. But he also forgot the scripture that said, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And I believe God pronounces a woe on those that are sellers of strong drink and wine. And there's even a woe on them that serve up strong drink to others to make them drunken to look in their nakedness. And that's exactly what verse 15 is saying. There, 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 there's a link between drunkenness and a link to other sexual sins and perversions. You see, drunkenness lowers your inhibitions to do things that you normally wouldn't consent to do. Didn't that happen a lot when he came out of Sodom? His two daughters were with him. They're in the cave. What did they decide? We have no children. Let's make our father drunk, get him to drink wine, and then uh, we can have uh, carnal knowledge with him. And of course, drunkenness led to incest. You think of a young girl today. She's taken to a party. Maybe a young teenager. Drink is introduced, and then because of a drunken stupor, that young girl is taken advantage of, maybe even brutally raped. You see, drunkenness produces other sins, and it leads to even sexual sins and sexual perversion. Did you know that drunkenness even led to the destruction of Lebanon? Look at verse 17, for the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee. And the spoil of beasts which made them afraid. What is that all about? Do you know what Babylon army did? They, they raped and plundered the countryside of Lebanon. They, they destroyed the great cedar forests that were there. Did, did you know that they slaughtered many domestic animals? Cows and sheep and goats. They just slaughtered them for the fun of slaughtering them. 
Because they were fueled by wine and alcohol. Drunkenness is a grave sin before the Lord. You, you think of the multiplicity of drunk drivers that caught it Christmas time, despite the campaign, never ever drink and drive. You, you think of child abuse and domestic violence. We'll add in murder and theft and rape and, and adultery and fornication. And a lot of it, a lot of it. The vast majority is linked to this whole sin of drunkenness before the Lord. People tell me there's nothing wrong with alcohol, but remember alcohol is a very addictive, dangerous drug. Alcohol could make a fool out of you. And we could give you four reasons or five reasons why you're better not being consumed and controlled by alcohol. Drunkenness is a sin. Now, I'm not dealing today with the thought, should Christian drink wine? We'll leave that for another day. But I could give you reasons why not. Here's the sin of drunkenness and, and what it leads to. I want you to think also here of the sin of idolatry. If you look at verse 19, Woe to him that saith to the wood awake, to the dumb stone arise, it shall teach is not a contradiction of Exodus 20, verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And do you know the idolatry of Babylon can be traced all the way back to Nimrod? Do you know who Nimrod was in Genesis chapter 11 and 12? He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, a hunter of souls, a hunter to enslave men. That's where slavery really started to build the Tower of Babel. And his wife, Samaras, and his son, Tamar, there's the foundations of Babylon right there. And of course, we could bring it up to, to modern-day Babylon, and we could go this morning to the city of Rome and see it's a city full of idols and given over to idolatry, bound down to idols of stone and wood overlaid with silver and gold that have no breath to, to breathe or, or no voice to speak or no eyes to see. You would think, well, I would never give myself to idolatry. I'd never bow down to a stone idol, even if it was overlaid with gold or silver. But let's remember this. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What does that mean? There's nothing else between you and the Lord. Is there anything that you love more than the Lord? That's an idol. We should ask ourselves, is there anything between me and the Lord this morning? Is there an idol that's keeping me from the Lord? What stops me from coming to the house of God in the day of God to worship the Christ of God with the word of God? See, all this sin, this, this sin of selfishness and theft, this sin of covetousness, this sin of bloodlessness, this sin of idolatry, this sin of drunkenness, it was all rooted in one thing. And it was all rooted in pride. If you go back to Second or Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 5, Yea, also because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man. Because he's a proud man and lives independently of God to do his own thing, I know best. I'm, I know better than the Lord. I, I can do what I want. So he gives himself to selfishness and theft. He gives himself to an evil covetousness. He, 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 he gives himself to, to bloodshed. He gives himself to drunkenness. He gives himself to idolatry. And it's all rooted in pride. And pride, remember, is an abomination to the Lord. Not only the speaker identified the sin specified, but let me close with this, for our time is gone. The sentence that's justified. Do you know, whenever you read through this, 
Just come down to verse 5 and 6, and let's read it together. Yea, also because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, he enlarges his desires, hell, and is his death that cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. So you can, you can think of that, the, the building up of the massive Babylonian empire. Now look at verse 6. Shall not all these take up a parable against him, and a taunting proverb against him, and say... Woe to him that increases that which is not his. How long? And to him that laden himself with thick clay. Shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee? And awake that shall vex thee? And thou shalt be for booties unto them. Verse 8, because thou hast spoiled many nations. Now notice this. All the remnant of the people shall spoil thee. Because of men's blood. And for the violence of the land of the city. And of all that dwell therein. Well, what's God saying there? He's saying to Habakkuk that there's a payday coming Sunday. And I have appointed the sentence. And the sentence is justified. And they're going to reap what they've sowed. And they're going to reap a lot more than they've sowed. Here's the nations of the earth at the fall of Babylonian Empire, taking up a parable against Babylon. Where is Babylon today? You can almost hear the smocking and the smirk and the laugh. Think of the words, a taunting proverb. How could I explain that? If you think of a football match, and your favorite team's out there, and they're, they're losing 3-0 at half time. Now, the fans are not singing, they're not shouting. They're a bit dejected, a bit down. The team comes into the dressing room for the halftime break. They get a good talking to by the manager and, and, um, and the club boss and whatever. Come on, boys, pick yourself up. And they go out there. And we'll say now that, it, that it's um, five minutes to go until the, the, the final whistle. And, and your team's winning now. No longer they're being defeated 3-0. They're now winning 6-3. Well, well. Your fans are electrified. They're shouting and they're taunting the other team. 6-3, 6-3, 6-3. Can you see that? Could you identify with that? Well, that's exactly what this taunting proverb is to do with Babylon. God says the nations of the earth, they're going to taunt Babylon when it falls. That will spoil many nations. And many nations, they're going to spoil thee. You see, here's the law of the harvest. You're going to reap what you sow. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Your harvest day will come. And that's exactly what Jeremiah prophesied. Jeremiah 51, verse 33. There's a day coming when Jeremiah said, Babylon is going to be threshed. And in that day, the Lord will sit in his temple. He's on the throne, remember. He's in control. And notice these words as we finish. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Do you know what that word silence means? It means hush. It means shh. Don't say a word. Hand and mouth. Why? Because God has a controlling glory. And God will bring the payday to pass. And I'm saying as we finish, what he'll do for Babylon, 
We'll rephrase that. What he did for Babylon, because Babylon Empire is gone. He will also do to every individual who doesn't know him and hasn't yet obeyed the gospel. Sin, young people, pays wages. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And if you sin your day in your lifestyle before the Lord, he takes notice. He sees all. He's made a record. And there's a payday coming. And I finish with this. Jesus said this. If you die in your sins, where I am, there, you cannot be. The sentence is justified. And in that day, you'll have nothing to say. You'll not say but God. Your mouth will be closed. The Lord bless you. May the Lord apply his word for his name's sake.